Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Wouldn't we all like to eat the same foods that keep Tom Brady at 44 years old at the top of his game? Or wouldn't we all like to, especially the women, like to stay slim like his model wife, Giselle? Well, maybe this super celebrity couple's dietary habits don't have to be so mysterious and can be incorporated into anyone's diet especially with the help of my guests today. My guests today, Amy Stevens and Joelle Porish, are both dietitians, nutritionists, who have lots of tips that we can include into our daily meals to make us fitter and slimmer. You know, as many of my listeners know, uh, I typically mainly have doctors on the podcast, but healthcare truly is a team sport. And dietitians really are a key part of good healthcare, both inside the hospital and outside as well. Uh, Amy has a private practice in Manhattan, and she works with Elite Runners Club, a group of aspiring, I believe, Olympians. Joelle works on Long Island with everyday folks, helping them try to lose weight and feel better about themselves. I was looking in their background. They both turn out to be Syracuse alumni, so go Cuse. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe there's something in the air there that makes people want to eat healthier. So it's my pleasure to have Amy and Joelle join me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having us. I'm really excited to be here. Definitely excited to be here. Thank you. Okay. So the first thing I usually start with, the, the, you know, the, the starter, is background. And I usually ask my doctors this. So I'm going to ask you first, Amy, what made you decide to go become a dietitian and to go in this field? What made me become a dietitian um, kind of goes way back to when I was younger. Um, I was an athlete uh, growing up. I was a gymnast. Oh, and wow. during all of my training and, you know, growing up in the 80s, it was all about uh, different types of diets and uh, slimming down and being leaner and working harder and ignoring all of your body's cues. And I saw a lot of uh, inappropriate diet habits. Um information that was coming down from coaches to the athletes and it didn't feel good. And that kind of carried over through college. And then I learned that there's this whole career in dietetics that actually addresses this. And there is a healthier way to fuel athletes and people, and you can still accomplish your goals by feeling okay and not leading to unhealthy behaviors and long-term effects of that. So I was really excited to jump into uh, a degree and, and learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to say because, again, so many people get so confused, especially athletes. I, I remember back in the day, um, I was a tennis player, but a friend of mine was a wrestler, and he was busy, you know, unfortunately throwing up before matches to make weight. And you could just see, you know, how unhealthy, you know, he was just to participate in that sport. And today I'm sure there'd be so much different advice. So, Joelle, I turn to you. What got you interested in this interesting field? So not so far off from Amy at all. Um, I was an athlete in high school. I actually ran track pretty competitively in high mm -hmm. school. And um, our coach had us logging our food, had us, you know, and again, some of those unhealthy behaviors definitely were put again from the coaches down to the runners. And we were, you know, so young in high school. So he actually had a dietitian come speak to us. Um, and that was the first I heard of the field and never even knew it existed. Also just grew up in a home where my mom was always pushing healthy food, um, a balance. I grew up in, it was very inclusive with that. So that was great. But um, yeah, the dietitian comes speaking to us, talking about how, 
what we eat, it affects our performance, things like that. And I went right from high school into the program at Syracuse. So I was really interested right yeah. on that. I mean, it's something that affects every one of our lives. You know, you just can't escape that. And everybody has a zillion opinions. I've also had top medical experts. And I can tell you, of the five that I've had on here, they have totally opposite beliefs of what constitutes, you know, a healthy diet. So, Amy, I'm going to start with you. And this is where it gets really interesting for me, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners, is, you know, there are so many of us weekend warriors. You know, we all, you know, we watch the ball players on TV. I know I've been watching. I watch a lot of tennis channel. And uh, I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's gearing me up back to my high school tennis days. But, you know, we all want to know, you know, how do we, what's the best way to, like, kind of, that's a hard word. What's the best way to organize our diet? I mean, and I go, I know it probably varies obviously from one sport to the other, but you know, about what we should eat. Like say, let's say a, a typical male says, you know what? I want to try to stay in shape. I'm going to run five miles on the weekend and maybe bike a little bit and stuff like that too. Somebody comes to you like that. Do you have a little bit of a plan? They say, you know, Amy, how do I, how do I have the right fuel? How do I recover? How do I not gain weight? You know, those kind of things. Yeah, those are a lot of different topics, but I'll start okay. with like where I begin. No, that's yeah. like, those are, you know, that's what people will typically say. And my first question is like, what is your goal? Is your goal to improve your 5K time? Or is it to look leaner? Is it to lower your cholesterol? So all of those are completely different. And sometimes it's all of those goals. Um, I saw a, a gentleman earlier last week who was very, he's a firefighter and he's in great shape. But yeah, he's, someone was good shape. And I asked him, he was telling me all this, all the activities he does. And I'm like, well, what is your goal? He's like, I just want abs and I want to look good. <laughs> like, okay, well, that's going to look Wait, 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 was he, was he posing for that firefighter post or something? Yeah, I I've seen know. those guys, I, they're very scary. <laughs> I didn't ask, but he was like, I will just be honest with you. Like, okay. I don't okay. care about my 5K time and I don't care about how fast I run. I just want to look really good. I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, good. Let's, then that's your goal. So, you know, if it's getting leaner and like looking a certain way, like, I think, you know, um, you know, that's one goal. And, um, but my athletes that I work with my, my runners on my team, um, that are trying to make the Olympic qualifying times or to right now they're trying to qualify for the worlds. It's more periodized. So they're training in blocks. They increase over a period of time, their fitness and they max out and they race and then they recover. So it's a very different. So, um, and then there's the cholesterol people or like, you know, the young athletes that might say my cholesterol is high. I really don't want to go on medication. How do I avoid that? So, and they, they, you know, their bodies, they're not as concerned about how their bodies look or their 5k time. They just want to avoid Lipitor. So, you know, those are three different things. So let's start with. Yeah. Let's go through each one like a little bit. I want to, I'm curious to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Let's do the, my pro athletes. Cause that's, um, so yeah. they, they're, they're peaking with their training. They're racing every weekend. Now they're trying to make the world's time. They have to run a, all these different meets to hit a certain time. Um, so for them, it's a lot of carbs, high carbs. Um, so people that are running or even my marathoners, half mar marathoners, uh, that are kind of getting closer to their, uh, their race race days, it's increasing the carbs, half of the plate carbohydrates. And then one quarter of the plate is like a lean protein, like chicken or fish or Turkey. And then another quarter of the plate, um, is, um, uh, 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 vegetables. Um, Can I ask you on the carbohydrates? Cause that yeah. comes up obviously a lot. I mean, everybody's got the carb phobia, you know, that, and obviously for athletes, especially 
you know, the, you know, the elite athletes, they need that, that source of energy. So is there any specifics that you tell them are better than, I mean, is rice better than having potatoes versus sweet potatoes versus yeah, you know, like, bread? Pasta? Those, yeah, no, those are great questions. And I, people ask me that a lot and they're, yeah. um, they're like, everyone comes to me, I don't eat gluten and they tell me all these foods that they don't eat. I'm like, well, what do we eat? Yeah. Um, right. Right. Everybody's gluten-free for years, you know, <laughs> right. and I'll work with whatever their dietary um, uh, patterns or restrictions are. But yeah, I think, you know, in general, I, I think it's so hard for us to make our meals all the time. We're all very busy and we all have long our jobs and our hours are really long. So it's really hard to devote a lot of time to cooking. So I go for the easy things that I know that they can get in their diet. So I'm okay with rice, white rice, brown rice is definitely better. And I'll educate someone on uh, the benefits of brown rice and quinoa having more nutrients than like a plain white rice. Um, and potatoes, I think are totally fine. They have a lot of potassium and there is definitely, you know, nutrients. Well, so it's okay for these people. I just, I'm going to try to clarify things once well. It's okay for these people because they are burning a lot of calories. Because as we all know, I mean, some of these high carb foods will, like on any of us, will put weight on people. And we'll get to Joel after about how we, how the people who are non-athletes stay slimmer. But you, you know what I'm saying? So you're saying that's okay. Because I'll, I'll tell you something. You no, know, like, as I said, I want to throw a lot of things out here. I was like shocked. There's a, a very famous marathoner. His name is, I know his first name is Mev. I forgot his last name. He's, he's from like Ethiopia. Yeah. And he's really a, you know, super athlete. He's very thin and he's small. And I think obviously a lot of those things contribute to him being an elite marathon runner. But I'll never forget in an article I was reading about him was like, uh, like a real treat was having like a half a banana. And I figured this guy would be like popping bananas all over the place, you know, for his potassium. So I, I know I'm just, I was, I was confused. So it, you're saying still the carb loading is very important. Otherwise these people will bonker out, you know. Well, you know, if we go backwards and we look at what your body's doing, like, you know, I always mm. talk about what your body needs. And when you're exercising at a high level or even, you know, going more than an hour, you need carbohydrate. That is your source of fuel. So your body is using, is breaking down. If you don't eat carbohydrates, it will find it. Your body's really smart. Yeah. It will find carbohydrates, which is in the form of your muscle. So your muscle gets broken down to be used for energy. So if you're not eating it, your body will find it. And those are oftentimes the people that say, I don't see my weight or my, um, my strength isn't increasing and my weight's not changing. It's that they're not eating enough carbohydrates. Um, so they do need carbs. Carbs are the primary source of energy. So it's important to have in the diet. Okay, so, so for these elite people, obviously, okay, so it really makes a lot of sense. It sounds like the Michael Phelps, and the, you know, and the Lance Armstrongs. I mean, these are obviously the most prominent ones that, you know, carb loading, obviously they're burning thousands of calories, you know, they can eat a lot of food because they need the energy. Right. Yes, like your weekend warriors you were talking about. So. Well, those are those are a little bit different. I mean, I'm I'm a mini weekend warrior. I wish I was a real warrior, but let's say so if I'm going for a 10-mile bike ride, let's say you know, obviously this part of the show is I get to use I get to get information for myself. I always I say I'm the smartest doctor in the room, but I mean it's all my all my people I interview. But so if I'm going out for um like, and a half a, uh, like an hour bike ride, you know, probably an eight to ten mile bike ride. Should I have a little breakfast before, you know, like a little oatmeal or, uh, you know, some eggs or something or does so it matter? An hour. So your body can store about an hour and 20, um, an hour and 20 minutes worth of energy. If you go beyond an hour and 20, which is most people's half marathon, then you need to take some 
excess glucose. You need to take in some mm, energy. Okay. So let's talk about the hour. So um, bike riding, you're you're not unless you're racing. I mean, if you're not racing, I'm not. A, I'm not. I, I don't pass too many people on the road. <laughs> yeah, it's also the timing. The timing is really really important. So you okay. wake up, and if you're going out within like 45 minutes of waking up. You don't necessarily need something. You can okay. go fasted, especially people with insulin issues. They, you know, like a, a pre-diabetes or, you know, uh, someone who has type two, they can go fasted or even a type one. I like going fasted as much as often as possible. Oh, really? Okay. They don't have a bolus on board because that'll have really detrimental effects. Okay. So I do a lot with type one. So, you know, that an hour, you could definitely do fasted. When to have something. It's if you're pushing it, if you start answering emails. And the time is going by and then you don't get out for two hours. Well, you've been awake for two hours and your body has been using up energy. And so now you're moving into the next meal. So that's when you need something. So if you're going out like a little later and longer, you need food. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I like to go around noontime. I'm not like the earliest person. So if I have a break between patients or whatever, yeah, uh, I like to have a little coffee or something, you know, sometimes some berries or whatever. Um but yeah, and as you know, too, I'm sure you can't eat too heavy because otherwise your stomach bloats up or whatever. And, and, you know, makes well, it I always harder. say like, you know, yeah, like an hour to two hours before have mm-hmm. a small meal, you okay. need something, especially if you're going midday, you need to have had in like, you know, at least a third of your calories. Really? by then. Yeah. Cause then, you know, and that's another thing that I can talk about a little bit later. The biggest issues with people is if they don't eat, you know, your body's using energy all day. Right. If you exercise in the morning, your body's backfilling all that energy. And if mm. you eat because you're too busy at work and then you eat all your food late in the day, I mean, that does not help, you yeah. know, build muscle and restore glycogen and right. it's not maximizing your, your health. What do you like for, uh, we'll jump a little bit uh, to like for recovery stuff. Like I, I actually like this. I don't know if you guys can see this. I like, let's say whey protein. I mean, that's a big thing. I, I remember reading Lance Armstrong's guy, Chris Carmichael was like, yeah, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, and now some people overdo it because this, there is a lot of protein in this stuff. But so what do you like for somebody comes back from a, from a workout, whether it's an hour or two of tennis, a run for a few miles, you know, like you guys are runners, what what do you like for your recovery? Uh, and and you know again from from what I understand, it's really important is like that window of time when you should have that recovery meal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know it's called the glycogen window. That's another term for it. It's mm. your body when you're using up um, energy for your exercise. It's it's under a stress state, and so to kind of turn that state around and be building back up and recovering, and it also helps with inflammation is to eat some carbohydrate and protein. And so it depends on the exercise. If you're doing like mostly endurance stuff, then you could do like a four to one, four grams of carb to one gram of protein. So that would be great. Like a, a, a cliff bar is pretty good. Um, but if you're doing something that's way more intense, like uh, weightlifting or something a little bit more like, like uh, hurdles, like hundred meter hurdles uh, on the track, you're going to need a little bit more protein. So I would do like a three to one um, or push a little bit more protein right after just to get the muscles recovering and delaying mm. down. Um, so what I do sometimes with my athletes, when they work out two to two days a week at the track, I will bring food with me and I would hand it to them as soon as they finish their workouts, which they are doing intense workouts. Um, running, you know, super fast speeds, um, at really high, uh, VO two maxes. And 
I give them food right away because they usually have doubles. They'll have to work out again later in the day. So they need to start the recovery quickly. And it does help. There's studies showing that it reduces um, the inflammatory marker, CRP, you know, the erythrocyte sedimentation. Mm-hmm. So they do, there are blood chemistries that will support getting in the food right after. Tart cherry juice is a really great one. Um, some of the studies are done on arthritis, patients with arthritis. And so they can, they actually give a patient this food, you know, like a, a tart cherry juice or maybe turmeric or different types of herbs like cinnamon. And then they measured their labs and they could see the improvement over time. So okay. it definitely makes a difference. Okay. Start- and the one other question I want to ask you on this before we move on to Joelle, get her into the action here. Uh, and what about hydration? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. I mean, I, I've read... Um, I think it was even in the Times they had, which you've been quoted in, is that sometimes people overhydrate. I mean, one of the most dangerous things is what we call hyponatremia, where somebody is drinking way too much water and their sodium goes down. You can get brain swelling. So what do you do? You have a sort of rule of thumb for people about how to hydrate before and after? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just working with um, uh, a man who was training for the special ops and he was like, yeah, I drink four gallons of water a day. I'm like, <laughs> right, I'm they like, walk around with their, you know. I'm like, let's, let's recalibrate that. Yeah. Like, let's go over hydration. Um, so I'll, I have this water flask. It's in my, my other room. And it's yellow, like a hydro flask that's bright yellow. And I'm like, and I tell my athletes, if your pee is this color, you need mm. to drink water. Mm. So it's really based on your own, um, your body's own regulatory uh, system. So like, if your pee is really dark and that's really the best way to kind of regulate your hydration. Um, if you're thirsty drink, um, but drinking those big gallons of water and forcing it down all day, definitely not going to help. You right. Out. I think that's, I just don't want to listen for our audience, you know, that's listening. I, I think, you know, people kind of, uh, you know, and I actually, my first podcast was with Dr. Dana Cohn who wrote a book called eight glasses a day is not the way, which is kind of, that's good. I like right. That. It was, it was a really good thing. Cause what, the, what people don't realize is that you get water in other ways. If you eat fruit, if you eat an yeah. apple, you know, Vegetable. a whole bunch of things you don't calculate. So it's not like you have to carry around this huge container. Well, I've seen patients that come in, they have the, everyone does the gigantic bottle of water in New York. Like I got to stay hydrated. I mean, you know, you're not in the Sahari desert, you know, there's no reason you have to do that. It's a really great thing that you bring up because, um, so I would say like 20 ounces before a workout and, you know, in the, the Northeast humidity. Yeah. It depends on that. Right. Yeah. You might need a little bit more, but really what's important is the electrolytes getting in salt, you know, calcium, magnesium, like getting those lights in before an exercise and then testing out different types of replacement, like your body sweats. And I explain how your body sweats and you lose electrolytes. So we're just replacing what your body needs. And then it makes you thirsty. Water Mm -hmm. follows electrolytes. So you want to keep your blood volume up. So all the nutrients can move around your body um, as fast as possible. We want to maximize all of that. Um, So, you know, experimenting with electrolytes, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, ask a sports dietitian, ask someone who understands um, because too much is definitely not good, especially if there are other medical issues. Yeah. You know, just one other thing I want to point out again to the listeners, because I've seen this in my practice, people don't realize your diet can be a weapon and, and not a good one. You know, it could be, it could be something there to help you. It can absolutely, I've seen people run into trouble, unfortunately, with the keto diets and other things where their their kidney function changed and, and other things. 
that, you know, again, you know, they, they, they don't really get the advice a lot of times from their physicians. They really need someone like the two of you to guide them that, you know, this is not good for you. You know, this is for what your, your activities are, et cetera, et cetera. This is, you know, not the way. Uh, I'm going to transition to Joelle for a second, and we'll come back to you, Jamie, on some other things. Um, and we're going to switch gears a little bit because also a lot of people, honestly, really want to know about losing weight. <laughs> and uh, I know we've been in contact, and I've, you know, I've heard you talk with patients you know, about everybody wants to lose weight. I understand that they, they don't really realize being fitter is more important than just losing weight. You know, losing inches is better than losing pounds on the scale. But I think the big question I'll start with is this, is do you restrict calories or do you restrict carbs? I mean, how do you go? Tell me how you go about it. And I'll just give you a, a quick uh, example. I had a friend of mine who's a doctor. I just saw him. He's an eye doctor, a really good eye doctor. And I looked at him. I said, oh, God, you look really trim. You know, I was noticing. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I have a I have my brother's daughter's wedding in a couple of weeks. And he goes, I couldn't fit into my tuxedo. So he goes, I, uh, I'm eating one meal a day. <laughs> I haven't had a piece of bread, you know, in weeks. He goes, this is awful. He says, I can't wait that wedding is over. But he goes, I don't want to buy a new tux. <laughs> so uh, tell me about what you, how you kind of approach it with a lot of your clients. Yeah, you know, so... Yeah, so I'm a big believer in balance. Um, it sounds like Amy is too. Most dietitians are, I think. Um, when talking about how to lose weight, it's about sustainability. You know, you could do the crash, keto, Atkins, those things. You to fit into a tux, yeah. But what happens after? Yeah, um, back. I have so many, so many of my clients are coming in post Octavia, um, post keto, post Atkins, all those where they do it, they lose the weight, they stop, they gain it back. Um, plus some usually. Yeah. So in terms of like how to do it, I try to do it in a really slow, sustainable way. Not, you know, the, the, I guess the speed depends on the person, but at the end of the day, you do have to eat less calories. Um, that's how you're going to lose weight, but I try to do it in a well-balanced human way, because I think a lot of times people feel restricted. You do a crazy diet, you feel restricted. You have one cupcake and you're like, Oh, done. And then it, you know, it, it's all over. So um, I always am trying to remind my clients, you know, if you're trying to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever it is, it's not forever. We're going to restrict to a certain degree while including, you know, all, I try to do all real food, um, carbs, proteins, fruits, and vegetables. Um, but again, in a sustainable way, that's not makes you feel like you can't live because then it's just not going to work. Yeah. I never understood, but I mean, it must work to some degree is like, for example, Weight Watchers. And I'll tell you why, what what, what throws me off with that, again, with my background in immunology and the microbiome, because, you know, Weight Watchers, obviously they've got a zillion ads and they must have their following of people that do okay. Uh, I think Oprah is one of them (laughs) on and off, but, you know, their, their theme for what I gather, I've never done it, (laughs) is that, they give you these, you know, they have the prepared foods like a lot of these places do, smaller portions. But it, to me, it's so weird. It's like, oh, you can have lasagna and a little piece of cake. You know, I, I, I feel like it's, you know, I, I don't know. How does that work? I mean, does, you know, because to me, it would be more like if you ate, you know, a small piece of steak and some good veggies or something, you'd be better off with the whole insulin response or something. So how, how does, yeah, how do you, like when people say to you, oh, I, you know, or is it just the, 
the support. I don't know. I remember they used to go. I don't know with COVID. They used to all go and do a weigh in together. And I guess maybe everybody pushed themselves. So what what's your thoughts on that? So Weight Watchers definitely has like a following. Like I have so many people that are like the lifetime Weight Watchers members. Yeah. Um, I would say I, I do, you know, I like that it inco- includes all foods in mm-hmm. that, that people can have a cookie, you can have these foods, but the reality is like you were saying, health is important too. It's not just about losing the, because if you don't have enough calories, if you have a tiny sliver of lasagna and cake and it's, you know, 300 calories for dinner, it's not necessarily healthy. It's just right. right. I mean, it affects your whole insulin response. And, yeah. and I think also too, to me, it's like, do you feel like you're eating healthy? I, I don't know. It's so, yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. Obviously, you can build a more volume, healthful meal, maybe mm-hmm. for less calories if it's not those kinds of foods. Um, something that I find like a lot of these diets, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them are not actually run by dietitians, which I think mm-hmm. is a huge flaw in the system. Um, maybe not recognizing insulin responses, things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Weight Watchers, again, it, it does have a huge following and some people are very successful. But I, And I know it's changed a lot over the years, but from what I understand more recently, um, so many, well, they count the points. That's the big thing. Right, right. This whole thing with points. So I went, can't go over my points today, you know. And so, uh, yeah. so, what, 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 so what would you, I'll let you both jump in on this and I'll step back. What would you, someone says to you, I've been to Weight Watchers three times. I've lost the weight. I gained it back, you know. Uh, you know, Joel, Amy, I'm coming to you. I heard great things about you guys. Joel, you go first, and then Amy, I'll let you follow. Well, I, I, again, I know I'm giving you the hypothetical case, but what would you maybe, let's say a 55-year-old woman, pre-menopause, whatever, pre-menopause, perimenopausal, really having trouble losing that 20 pounds, you're very upset, well, you know, and as I said, they tried the Weight Watchers thing up and down a couple of times. I'll let you go first, Joel, and then Amy. And it's not, you know, a contest, but I'm just curious to see how you would handle it. So it's actually funny you say that. I got a text yesterday from a potential new client. Exactly. Oh, really? No, she called me first. She said, yeah. like, she knew about the, she knew about <laughs> the podcast. Said, so yeah, she was. She said, uh, I've been doing what you watch. I just signed up again for the third time. Um, <laughs> you know, what? what's different? Um, again, with what you watch, I think some of the bigger things more recently is that they do a lot of the free foods, which I think, um, again, you know, sometimes it could be helpful. We're all human. Sometimes we eat because we're bored or tired or other things other right. than hungry. But I don't love the whole idea of like, cause I, from my understanding more recently, like a lot of the lean proteins are free foods. So if you're having X amount of points a day, you can have as many, you can have 10 eggs in a day and 14 apples and like all these foods that are free foods. And I think that encourages people to eat just because of, yeah. Three points. Um, also, I don't love like it does, like you were saying with the lasagna thing, it does go based off of, I believe, based off of like a lot of like calorie things. And I remember um, someone was telling me they weren't allowed to eat or they like scanned the oatmeal and it was like six points, which is way too high in points. And I'm like, you know, oatmeal is a healthy food. It's not right. like it goes. I don't like love the logic behind it. So yeah. I'd yeah. be focusing more on. um you know, quality and yeah, quality, not saying foods as a number, like a point. Yeah. And finding that balance because eating, you know, like 10 ounces of chicken dinner is not necessarily the way to do things. Yeah. Yeah, So Amy, how do you handle it? I'm sure you get your, 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 you know, non-athlete patients who just want to lose a little weight and look, feel a little better about themselves. What do you, uh, yeah, like, no, um, 
I definitely get those. Um, they're usually referred by a GYN or from an endocrinologist. Um, I think my approach is different. Like I think when I first started, I probably used more calories and relied on more like uh, structured uh, calorie counting or uh, ounces. Um, I think now I've kind of learned or evolved over the years and I really hone in more on the assessment. Like in the assessment, I'm asking, do you eat when you're not hungry? Do you eat out of emotions? Because um, usually there's some underlying issue that's not addressed. So I definitely ask a lot of those questions. Uh, is that, has there been a different stressor in your life? Um, have you, what has worked for you in the past? Like what has been most helpful for you? Um, and, you know, do you eat past fullness? You know, because everyone knows what to well, eat. Well, that's a very important thing. I, I'm sorry to stop you on that too. Yes. It's so hard. Maybe you could teach us the trick for this. Because, you know, there's a Japanese saying, something like Harry carry something, meaning don't eat till you're full. And most of us, even myself included, I'm like eating well, I'm full. And I'm like, oh, a couple more bites and then I'll be really good for a while. You know, none of us learn how to stop at that like 70% satiety, you know, thing. So, yeah, no, that's a really hard thing. I mean, that's, you know, there's a whole kind of new uh, uh, area of nutrition called mindful eating and like intuitive eating, learning how to uh, be in touch with your body's hunger cues and satiety cues. But like I would ask someone if they're eating past fullness and they're finishing a meal, like, oh my God, I'm so stuffed. Well, like, did you eat fast? Did you eat a lunch? How hungry you were you when you sat down for that meal? Like maybe we need to distribute those calories a little bit more evenly. You know, the, you know, did you exercise in the morning and didn't eat all day? And then you're sitting down at the end of work after a long, stressful day. Is food your reward? Oh, wow. I made it through this day. I could eat a gigantic. That, that's a great point. Because I know I think we all feel that way. I know I do after a long day seeing patients. And you bring up a couple of points, which I was actually going to ask both of you about, too. It's like it's um, the, the mindlessness. You no, know, I did. I did training in mindfulness, you know, where they had you do the raisin uh, thing yes. to eat it mindfully, I which did is that in my graduate program. Oh, I did that with John Kabat-Zinn. I mean, he was the, like one of the founders of mindfulness meditation. And I was struck because, you know, it's like, I know myself too. I come home at the end of the day and I'm tired. I've had a lot of time seeing patients and had ups and downs, you know, people doing well, some people still struggling. And I'll come home and I'm like in the sanctity of my home and I'll have my food. And it's healthy food. But what I can't get, stop doing is either watching the TV or reading my newspaper because I, it's like I need to zone out. And then before you know it, a big full plate is gone. Well, so then in, you know, those kind of instances, it's like, you know, it's not a food problem. Maybe it's a coping problem. Yeah. Maybe it's coping with the stress of the day. Maybe there's other ways to stop yourself. I, you know, we create cues for patient. I'll create cues. Are you feeling stressed? Like I had one patient, she would like get into an argument with her husband and then like eat a pint of ice cream. And yeah. she's like, okay, I can't lose weight. I'm like, well, it's not a nutrition problem. It's you got to fight and you need to cope with that. What's a better way to cope with feeling, you know, the, the you know, or dealing with the, the argument better or like coping with the stress of your day better? What is a better way to handle that? Well, and we can, can really yeah. 
And we've all, yeah, yeah, and we've all had. I'm sorry to interrupt. We all have had a major challenge with COVID, and I'll tell. I was like joking with my staff the other day too. You know, I go into the office, obviously, uh, you know, to see patients, you know, <laughs> see them in person. A lot of my consults now are virtual. I mean, even in the New York area, people want to initially. It's actually kind of nice. I did a podcast on this last week. I said, you know, sometimes for an initial pod, um, initial uh, visit with me, virtual is, is actually. Pleasant in a lot of ways. First of all, we're not masked up, so I can see their face, you know, and um, you know, and I get to review all their labs and everything. And then obviously, if they have to come in for treatments, that has to be done in person. But and and I kind of I love seeing people in person. There's something about the energy of being with a person versus doing Zoom after Zoom. But I was joking with my staff. I said, I said the real danger of this Zoom stuff, especially if I'm home versus in the office is that when I'm in the office, let's say if I'm seeing patients and then I do a Zoom, whatever, and I keep busy, I said at home, in between a Zoom, there's only mm, about 20 steps away my refrigerator. <laughs> and I, I feel like I have to refuel. So how are, how are you getting your patients to cope with that? Oh, so yeah, I had one patient. You put a lock on the refrigerator or something? <laughs> no, well, I had a patient, she was like working in, you know, the apartments in Manhattan are small. She was like working in the kitchen. I'm like, it's like you're working on a cruise ship. Right. We, need to, like, we need to like figure out, you know, you need structure. structure. Right. You eat a meal and here are the windows that you eat a breakfast. Because a lot of times it doesn't even matter what they're eating. Yeah, you know, I know. It's eat breakfast and then you need to stop eating. Your body doesn't need more energy. When you eat beyond that, that's, you know, your body doesn't need it. If you're feeling stressed, I have a lot of writers that sit and they get stressed um, and they grab food while they're working. Right, right. Um, so I'm like, well, maybe we need to like separate work from food. And like you were saying, sitting down watching TV to you is like relaxing, you know, but not really, but it's just, it's like, so, you know, you get lost yeah. in something. I wish I could say it's relaxing, but it, it's getting lost. It's like, but I wonder if the two of you also think this too. What I found, my trick, is that I now uh, will drink tea. I, I used to, as I said, I was I was so wired up during the, even the days before COVID, seeing patients one after the other. You know, I, you know, I used to have snacks all the time around, and I wasn't even doing that much physical activity. It was just, you know, you know again the, the, uh, the, you know, the intensity of everything. And now what I found is drinking, let's say, green tea. I like actually his, his hibiscus tea. You know, it sort of like satiates me. Do you sometimes tell clients to do that? I mean, does that work? I mean. Um, teas? Yeah, like because they want to do something. It's they like, want to do something. Exactly. Right. You yeah, know. Becomes, that's part of coping. Maybe that's a cue. Yeah. You know, make a tea versus eat. You right. know, absolutely. You're doing something. And sometimes it's like you said, the mindless eating. They're not even hungry. It's just a distraction from right. that emotion. They don't like the right. way they feel. What's right. something I can do to escape it? So, you know, one other thing you said, you know, about how to handle when the person is eating too much in between their you know, on their conference calls or their Zoom calls, um, I explain like what their body needs. Let's start there. And, you know, patients need to recognize where their behaviors are coming from. That's the first thing. Like, let's recognize, are you eating in between meals? Are you hungry? Maybe you didn't eat enough. Let's add more to your breakfast. Like, or maybe you want snacks. So put a bowl next to you, but that goes into your meal plan. And yeah. that is, you know, that has to be included in your day's energy. So, you know, as long as we get ahead of it and recognize when you mm. need, like maybe when you come home from work, you need to allot for a certain amount of popcorn. Like right. let's put that in your meal plan because that's important and it works for you and it's not out of control. If you're feeling like you're eating out of control, which is what it seems like you're addressing, that's a completely different issue. 
Um, I don't know if I mentioned my husband's a psychiatrist, so I kind of... Ah, you bring in the thing. No, but it's important. You know, I was going to mention, I don't know what it is, but, you know, you see on TV all the time those those Noom things, and they never show anything about food, not about selling food. And stuff too. It's supposed to be this whole, I don't know if they hypnotize people, you know, secretly, and like, do not eat food after six o'clock at night. I don't know, but, you know, it's it's obviously that's their play. But, Joelle, let me ask you a question. You know, a lot of times, again, patients, you know, people have a wedding or something coming up and they go, I got to lose 10 pounds. You know, what's a reasonable weight loss regimen? I mean, when you tell patients, I mean, is it one to two pounds a week? I mean, can they lose five pounds? And is that healthy or is that not really realistic? It depends on the person. Like I have people coming in to lose 150 pounds and I have people trying to lose 10 pounds. So, you know, someone with a lot more weight to lose, obviously that first week. I mean, I've seen 10 pounds in a week just because they're water weight. Sure, sure. Different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it's, I would say it depends on the person. Like I have an older woman that I'm working with now. And she's like in her 70s. She just wants to lose like seven, eight pounds. So in one week, if we see half a pound to a pound, that would be a great place for her because she doesn't like well, she so something. Do they need a special scale? I mean, I mean, are all scales alike? You know, I hear about these body composition scales, you know, that's the ones you really should have or uh, doesn't I matter. I think the scale is a really tricky thing. Um, yeah. Like the numbers, I mean, some people just drive themselves absolutely crazy. I even see for myself, like sometimes during the day, it fluctuates four pounds and I yeah. don't feel any different. I'm so, like, yeah, I always thought when, when the, the most true weight is going to be first thing in the morning after you empty your bladder with no clothes on. Once you drink, if you drink okay. a bottle of water and you step on the scale, you're going to gain two pounds because really? also, oh, okay. That's... exercise because you could sweat out, you know, two pounds in yeah. an hour and then you hop on the scale. You're like, wow, I'm doing amazing. Right. I know. Everybody's <laughs> like, yay, victory. <laughs> and yeah, I'm always reminding my clients, you know, to gain one pound of fat, that's 3,500 excess calories. So then like the numbers drive everyone crazy. So if yeah. they sat on the scale yesterday and then today they're up two pounds. Like, Joelle, I gained two pounds yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, did you have 7,000 excess calories yesterday? Like odds are you didn't. Right. You didn't right. have 7,000 extra calories yesterday. You did not gain two pounds and like need to not stress right. it. Right. Um, I care a lot more how you feel, blood work, um, how you're fitting in your clothing, things like that. Because the number, like I, and I always tell again my clients this, I speak to so many people a day, a week. And I was like, I hear everyone's weight. I was like, I could never look at someone and guess their weight. Like no one knows. It's just, <laughs> Oh, that was on a, that was on a Curb Your Enthusiasm thing. There was a yeah. guy that he would have spin people around and he could guess their weight. <laughs> yeah. Like I would never <laughs> know anyone's weight. And it's just a number. So to drive yeah. yourself crazy over a pound and a half. Yeah. No one's going to know. Yeah. Well, I think the scale has become so powerful because it's like the only daily objective thing you can do. Right. I think especially for athletes, they need to perform like, you know, I tell them the scale is not a judge and it certainly doesn't have the power to predict your race times, how you should feel. It does not predict how you're going to perform or how you should feel about yourself. It does not have that power unless you give it that power. So how you feel, how you nourish your body, your labs, your, your workout times, your relationships with your coaches or your, your conversations are way more valuable than a number on the scale. Let me ask you too, I, I sort of think I know the answer to this from both of you, but do you think there's any place for medications or specific supplements in weight loss? Um, I always tell my clients there's, there's no magic pill. There's not, you know, something that you could just take to. Because you know, for a while there were, I mean, for a while there was, unfortunately it was promoted. And then we saw there was but, cardiac issues and yeah. other problems with that, you know. 
I, you know, there are appetite suppressants and a lot of my, I, I do have a lot of clients that are on, um, like Ozempic, things like that, like the injections for weight loss. For um, weight loss. I thought it's for like diabetes. They're also used for weight loss. Interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, like Trulicity, uh, Wagovi is another one, but, um, they, they're not forever. So just like, even like the, you know, the gastric that bypass surgery, things like that. I'm like, if you don't learn to eat well, mm. if you don't learn to, you know, change your behavior, change your food patterns, you, you're going to lose weight maybe while you're doing these injections. Then again, what happens when you stop? You need to learn how to balance it without relying on something else. I think the value with some of those, because they are for type two diabetes and yeah. insulin control, I think like a lot of times I'll see them that form used as a first line. Um, there is a lot of undiagnosed PCOS with mm, young women. Mm. So a woman who, and they don't have to have the cysts on the ovaries, polycystic ovarian syndrome is an overproduction of insulin by the ovaries. So they may not produce or have cysts. So there's no other, you know, and they might, you know, if they could pull a, 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 an insulin level and see a high, they happen to catch a high level at that time, then they could say, maybe it's because I get these referrals from endocrinologists. And this is what I see a lot, a lot of patterns with young women. And if you get a thorough history, um, their menstrual cycle, their, their change in eating habits, you can get a better sense of, you know, if this is going to benefit them and yes, it does benefit them and they have to stay on it. Um, it helps them get their periods and regulate all of their hormones, which are all really important. You know, I see patients in my practice uh, for a variety of like complicated medical issues. Um, you know, what chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, I see something also called uh, candida overgrowth, you know, where they, these women have, you know, like basically a irritable bowel. Sometimes they have recurrent vaginitis, you know, and, you know, part of the program is restricting carbs at a certain point, especially initially, because it seems to exacerbate the condition. But the question I get from patients all the time is, um, do I have to do this forever? And my answer, of course, is no, because I don't want them to be totally discouraged. But I sort of have what I call the 80-20 rule. Does that work for you guys? I mean, if there's a patient that whatever, whatever you're working with them on, you know, whether it's for the athletes, whether it's for the people losing weight, you know, I always tell them, just don't invert it to the 2080 rule where you're, you know, you're only good 20% of the time. But, but I, does that work like when people have the cheat? I mean, Tim Ferriss, you know, who's like a very well-known guru on working out and he has all these famous people on, you know, he says, you know, he has this, he's great for six days of the week and then he has his cheat day. He'll have his beard, this and that, and he's fine. I mean, is that nonsense? Is that? I mean, that, I, I use something very similar. I like okay. that, the 20 but I actually call it the 90-10. Okay, <laughs> so, let's change the percentages. All right. So if, 90% of your diet is filled with nutritious foods and 10% can be whatever you want, but I don't support cheat days. Um, I think don't support cheat days. I think mentally that throws you off. What do you have to like, you know, you, you hold on until the cheat day and then (laughs) your body doesn't work like that. Your body is every three, four hours, you need nutrients. Your insulin levels are, you know, fluctuating and you're, you know, I look at CGM data a lot because I see a lot of type ones and you could see they eat a meal, their blood sugars go up and then it goes down and they need to eat more food. And then it goes up again. So if you binge and overeat, your your body has been in a deficit all week and you overload with calories, you will store way more fat. Okay, but wait, let's just say also just to uh, 
modify that. Let's say when we when we call the cheating is to say like say oh I'd like to have that pizza you know on Sunday you know whatever I mean, which is like again they're off carbs and this and that too. But does that throw them off? Is that does that like really stunt? And does that mess? I guess what they're always worried about is does that one cheat day or whatever the eighty twenty thing does that mess me up for the rest of the the week? I mean, I just did I lose everything that I just fought hard for this week? Well, you're saying one slice of pizza. That's not a cheat day. That's like okay. one cheat. Okay, no, but that's what I mean. For some of these, even though, even though, let's all be honest. Oh, having one is- slice of pizza is really hard. That second one oh, kind right. of is like eyeing me. <laughs> right. Well, then, the, yeah, that becomes more of the day, I guess. That'll spill into the day, bleed into the day. But I think in general, if you're targeting 90% of your foods to be nutritious, eating foods that your body needs, eating all the nutrients and the fiber and the protein, then 10%, like, so one day, if it goes to 20%, because it's the pizza, it's not the worst thing. Eating is not perfect. And it's, you know, progress is not linear. Every day, it doesn't get better, better, better. There are days where you kind of backslide. And it's okay if you recognize that you didn't ruin it. It doesn't have to be. That's so important what you just said. And I'll tell you what happens in my practice, because I have some, uh, I don't want to name names, but I have like like a nurse who works for me. She's worked for me for 30 years. And she worked originally for Atkins. And she's seen a lot of the patients that I've treated for 30 years. She worked for me 30 years. She worked for Atkins 10 years before that. And sometimes I have to like pull her aside because she starts lecturing the patients. Oh, you shouldn't have eaten that. You da, da, da. And I pull the people into my office. Because I see them in tears. I'm like, what is going on there? I just saw them and, and they're in tears. I pull them out and I said, what happened? And they said, you know, your nurse said, I ate this. And, I, and then I absolutely, I said, look, first of all, we're not the food police. We don't, <laughs> we don't send anybody over to arrest you. I said, second, life doesn't work that way. You know, so my point was to what you just said, Amy, and I know what you do, Joelle, is that, I think, and that, and that's what doctors don't even have the time to do a lot of times, where you guys are so important that in being that, that coach for these patients that need to, you know, to something that they have, they do every day to have that reassurance, you know, and to not get a complex about, you know, and phobias to food just because, you know, they think it's bad. Right. And I think it's not using those terms. I don't, I hardly, I will never say the word good or bad. It's usually Mm -hmm. like, you know, having a, you know, a more productive day, less productive day, Mm -hmm. more nutritious foods, less nutritious foods. It demonizes food and makes people feel bad. And so like you were saying, like, yeah, we, we are important. Dietitians are important because we support the patients and we support clients to help them. And, you know, I always, if patients start to feel frustrated, I'll say like, we're on the same side. Like I'm part of your team. And if that, if that's not working for you, let's find another way that will work for you to support you the best. And, you know, it's more about knowing that they're supported and I'm not handing them a diet to say, follow it. What's wrong with you. There's something wrong with you that you can't do this. Yeah. It's really hard. I think the diet industry has kind of led people to think something wrong with them if they can't follow a diet. Yeah, I always say like Do you guys get psychological training? Probably not, you know, like in, in dietitians could probably, you know, do they incorporate little, that? Like, not a lot, right? I would say not as much as you I mean, obviously we don't, as physicians also, I mean, I like to think of myself as having a lot of compassion for my patients, but it's, it's crazy because I think, you know, when you look back at medical training, I mean, it's starting to change now because I teach at the medical school, but you know, to the years that I trained this, it was like, you know, you know, it was like mechanics, fix this, fix that. And nothing about the psychology of, of what's so important 
in I totally in- agree. And I think like I've, you know, I've become specialized in diabetes and with sports nutrition, and I'm doing more with eating disorders. And there are really big psychological components with a lot of those specialties. Yeah. So, you know, going through those trainings after like just being a registered dietitian, you learn a lot more, you dive a lot more into the major issues that they, the patient goes through. And I think actually that's where to start because mm. you have to assess where the patient is. Like you can't, educate them if they are feeling no if you don't have that connection yeah Yeah. they're terrified about their diagnosis like you talk through the diagnosis like when people hear that they have insulin resistance or could have diabetes they're frozen so if you're telling them what to eat they're not listening so you're not effective so the best way to be effective is to find out where they are okay do you need education you know how do you feel about that information that you just heard so that's the way to be most effective is to see where they are and build on that and go off in whatever direction you guys need to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's amazing. My athletes, I learned so much in my training, but they just want to run and they want to perform and they will do anything and eat anything, try anything if mm-hmm. it will help them to run faster. Yeah. Runners tend to be the most disciplined people personally, you know, even the, even the, uh, yeah. All right. As we kind of wrap up, I'm going to ask, Joelle, is there anything else you want to add? Anything? Oh, no, that's... I just got very similar to Amy. I was talking about like thinking with my clientele about the whole like, cheat day. I don't even use the word cheat because mm. cheat implies you do something wrong. That's right. Like, that's a good point. Pizza <laughs> isn't wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't make you a bad person for eating a slice of pizza. Um, and I, I do always talk about balancing the day out instead of the whole, like people will do the cheat day on Sunday or Saturday, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't work like that. Um, I always try to balance the day. If I know on mother's day, a lot of my, you know, your mom, like you should have a cupcake on mother's day. Right. What do you have for breakfast that day? How does your day balance out? That's a good point. Um, maybe I won't wake up and eat pancakes. If I know I'm going to be having pizza and cupcakes later, maybe I will have an omelet or you know, like things that are just a little bit more nutritious balance this sounds like a really good idea for an amazing app i don't maybe it exists it's like you know you kind of put in okay this is where i'm going tonight and and it pops up your app of let's say this is your choices of food whatever if you're going to do this in the morning you know so so if you guys monetize it make sure you get me in on this because i had the idea um (laughs) anyway so Joel, where can we send anybody that wants to find out more about you and your practice you know where you're working and stuff like that um for food and fitness pro we take most insurance. I saw on Amy's website, she takes insurance too. Um, we're on Long Island, but we also do virtual. So foodandfitnesspro.com or um, my phone number, pers- like my personal phone number, I'm able to set up clients through that. Okay. And Amy, how about you? How about where can clients uh, contact and reach you and, and any other work that you're doing, putting out? Um, yeah. So um, Amy Stevens Nutrition um, is my website um, and I have an office in the West Village and I do virtual um, yeah. And, um, I'm just, yeah. Uh, anything I'm working on. Um, yeah, I do blogs. I post blogs on different topics, so I'll post those up every, every now and then. Um, and yeah, um, any questions, some, you know, you can always email me or text me. I love questions. <laughs> okay. No, you guys, you ladies were terrific. I learned a lot. I am sure my listeners have learned a lot. Uh, for any of the listeners who have questions, please, you can send it to me at, uh, at uh, the smartest doctor in the room, and we'll try to get back to you, and I'll have to check in with my experts here. And please, if you enjoyed the episode, leave a review. It helps us uh, get more visibility, because I think we've had a lot of terrific people, uh, and I think this was our 76th episode and growing. So anyone, have a great day. Thank you, ladies, for coming on. <laughs>